The scripture reading for today can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 12 through 15. It's printed in your bulletin, or you can find it on the screen. As a sign of honor for God's word, would you stand for the reading of the gospel? After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the He said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're talking about holy habits, these ideas or practices that we can put into our daily lives as Pastor Maggie just did in that infomercial. Um, and, you know, to help make our lives better, to help us grow and to help us more faithful disciples. Habits are new things that are put on top of our lives that help us change and develop and become new people. I was at Lake Junaluska, which is sort of a headquarters of the United Methodist Church at Lake Junaluska, North Carolina, near Asheville, uh, working for a couple of summers. And a lot of youth groups would come in and they would come in for about half a week. They would come in in their church buses. They would worship. They would have fun together. They would go out on the lake. And then, of course, they would have a lot of fun just being all over the place on the trails and around the lake. Now, when I was in the worship services with them, I noticed that there was a small group material packet that each group would get and they would go into small groups after worship where they would take what they just learned and talk about it one-on-one. And there were usually practices that they had to enact together to build trust and to open up to one another so that they could, in a sense, become accountability partners during the course of that week. It might start with something small like get to know you games or icebreakers. Then later in the week, it might be those trust falls where you're trusting that the people in your small group would catch you. On the last night, they would come together for worship and they would have Holy Communion. And then they were to go into their small groups and read the passage that Pastor Maggie read for us and the surrounding verses that talk about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. And so they were to receive their packet along with a bowl and some water and some rags. And they were going to do that around the circle to wash one another's feet. And as it got around the circle to a young lady who was about 16, one of her friends washed her feet and it was awkward and a little weird. And I don't think she was thinking through what was going to happen next. And she took the bowl of water and then looked over and there was a 13-year-old boy next to her who had been running around and had gotten real sweaty during the day. And it was that time of life right before young men learn about deodorant. And she got down on her knee hesitantly and then she realized what she was going to have to do and she froze and she would not wash his feet. In fact, she just shook her head like this. (laughs) 
Thankfully, one of the other students jumped in and washed the little boy's feet. She just couldn't bring herself to do it. There was a mental block there that she didn't want to expose herself to something uh, that probably wouldn't either smell good or wouldn't be good. You know, that block is sometimes something we experience too. We know we should do the right thing. We know we should serve others and help them. But sometimes there's, there's a block. Maybe it is our own comfort that doing some things require us to get out of our comfort zone. In other ways, it's believing that doing a good work will actually make a difference. Sometimes we think, well, one little thing for me probably won't make a dent in this problem. How do we get beyond those blocks and into practices and habits that turn us into the kind of people that Jesus wants us to be? That's what I want to talk about today in our message and talk about next Sunday, what are the practices and what do they look like that will help us to learn to be more fully disciples who serve other people. But let's look at two disciples in particular, James and John. They're called by Jesus in Mark uh, chapter 10 as the sons of Zebedee. And another place in the gospel, they're called the sons of thunder, which is a really cool name. They are two disciples that are very close to Jesus, including Peter. The three of them are included in a lot of the big important moments that the disciples are exposed to as they're following around with this Messiah, this very son of God, Jesus. James and John come up to Jesus and say, ask, uh, do whatever we ask of you, please, Jesus. Now, some of you are parents, some of you have kids, and some of you have to pay for all the kids' activities, school fees, sports fees, all of those things. And you know that kids are expensive. And when a kid comes up to you and says, I want you to give me whatever I ask from you, the dollar signs start to add up, right, in your head. What is this that I'm about to agree to? How many of us, raise of hands, would promise to give your child whatever they ask of you? Okay, not a single hand went up, all right? So imagine your child comes up to you and says, I need $1,000 for a brand new phone, You're right? After they've said, please do whatever I ask for you to do. This is what James and John do to Jesus. They say, Jesus, we want you to give us anything we ask of you. And Jesus says, well, what are you talking about? And they say, we want to be in the seats of power in your new kingdom or your new leadership. We want one of us to sit on the right and the other one of us to sit on the left. And there was kind of a, an understanding behind the scenes of what they were asking is that Jesus was going to be victorious, not just in heaven, but he was going to somehow dethrone the Roman Empire, that he was going to take over the throne in Israel from King Herod, and they wanted to be his right-hand and left-hand guys, to have ultimate authority just below him. The other disciples sort of hear about this happening, or they start murmuring, and they're complaining because they're trying to call dibs before it's even on the table, right? Well, Jesus tells them, listen, you need to remember something. You need to remember that it's the people who don't follow God. It's the people that don't have a heart after the kingdom of heaven that they are the ones that use their power and their authority to lord over everybody else. They don't want to serve. They want to be served. And he says, that's not the way the kingdom of God works. In the kingdom of God, 
We serve because that's who we are. In fact, the greatest among us is the servant of all. This is what Jesus tells James and John, that if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you better learn how to serve other people. Jesus is essentially doing the same thing, but doing even one step better here at the Last Supper. This is the night before Jesus is betrayed by Judas, before he's arrested, and before he goes to his cross. And what is he doing? He's talking to his disciples about what they're going to face in the future. He gives them the practice, what we call Holy Communion, where they share the bread and the cup together. He prays for them and for all future disciples like you and me. All of this is happening in the Gospel of John. This is the most expansive testimony of the last night that Jesus has with his disciples is right here in the gospel of John. And during that night, Jesus at some point, either before or after the meal, kneels down and begins to wash his disciples' feet. And he tells them not only that he's doing this because he loves them, but because he wants them to do it as well. He wants them to practice this, to become humble enough to wash one another's feet, to serve one another, because this is how you act in my kingdom. Peter is not happy about this. Why? Because Peter likes the chain of command. Peter likes for Jesus to be the one in control and to be in charge. And so Peter says, you will not wash my feet. In fact, you will never wash my feet. Peter often speaks before he thinks. This is one of those moments where Peter does it. And what Jesus says to him next is very pastoral, but very challenging. He says, Peter, unless you let me wash your feet, you will have no share in me. That is a very, very important and tough lesson. What Jesus is saying is, unless you let me wash your feet so I can teach you how to live as one of my disciples when I'm gone, you're not going to understand what this mission is all about. It's almost like Jesus is saying to them, if you think that you're going to be served because you were my disciples, slowly but surely, you're going to opt yourself out of the church because you're going to think you're owed something instead of that you are required and skilled and empowered to serve others so that they come to know Jesus. You're, in a sense, going to let your entitlement push yourself out of the church. Nobody's going to tell you to leave. You're going to push your way out if you think you need to be served. Peter has a change of heart when Jesus says this. And he says, don't only wash my feet, but all of me, you know, my head, my hands. So there's something here that's important about serving others. And it's not just that Jesus is saying in his kingdom, serving others is a good idea. There's something much deeper about this that we have to understand, but we've got to start somewhere. So Jesus shows them that if you can do something like wash the feet of the other disciples, then you will have a practice that teaches you how to change your heart over time. Habits are things we add to our lives to help form and order our lives. Habits are usually there to make sure that we are doing the right thing and that we consistently do the right thing. We can have bad habits, 
We can, and they can rob life from us. They can even push friends away from us. But the good habits are the ones that instill in us a lifestyle that matters, has purpose, and it can make a difference. Habits also can tune our hearts. Habits have a way of changing our desires. I don't know if any of you have have grown up being, you know, really addicted to sugar. You know, one of the, the diets that's out there is a diet that cuts all sugar. No sugar in your diet. I have tried that once and I can tell you the withdrawal from sugar is real. <laughs> Unsweet tea is not real sweet, is not real tea. It's still okay, I can drink it, but it's not real tea. You know, but then all of a sudden, the longer that you're not on sugar, when you taste food that has natural sugars in it or like a, a, a real peach, a fresh peach, that tastes so much better when you are tasting something that is natural instead of produced like that. There's something about how the habits of cutting that out of your diet can change your desires to eat the right things. And that's essentially what Jesus is trying to show us with service. We need to start with the practice so that we change our desires so that it becomes something more than a task. But it sometimes starts as a task. Serving others may start with a mission project at the church, a calendar event. It may start with a mission trip. It may start with something where you say, I need to do something. I'm responsible as a follower of Jesus to serve other people. Where and when can I do this? Sometimes it starts with a task. And that comes from our heritage, friends. I'm teaching a Wednesday night Bible study here at the church downstairs in 144 on the early Methodist movement and how we can embody the Wesleyan faith. And we talked two weeks ago about how the Methodist church started at Oxford University at Christ College in England. John Wesley, who taught there, and his brother Charles and other seminary students would gather together at Oxford University and they would read scripture and they would pray together and they would do things to further their faith development. But then they decided that they needed to also do the things that the Bible tells them to do. For instance, Matthew 25 says that if you go to the people in prison and you love them and care for them, then you're doing it to me, Jesus says. Even to the least of these, you're doing it to me. And so what they said was, we should go to the prison. So they did. They went to the prison, they went to the orphanage, they went to the, the uh, hospital, they started practicing their faith. And yes, it probably started out as Monday we're going to the orphanage, Tuesday we're doing this. It was calendared, it was sort of task oriented. But all of a sudden, they start to become people formed by this habit where it wasn't just a task to do, but it was what we did on Tuesdays, what we did on Wednesdays. And then it became even deeper than that. It became something that they got to do, not had to do. You see, some of the habits that we need in our lives start out as a task or a responsibility. They start out as something that we check off. But over time, they can become a reaction. They can become a positive reaction. We are thankful for our lives. We are thankful for the way that God has reached out and loved us so that we do this for others. We're not trying to force everything in the world to change, but we are going to be the kind of people that do this. And then, of course, it goes beyond that when it becomes part of who we are. 
when we embody the practice and it's almost like a reflex that we do it, that is when the habit has really changed our desires and retuned us to the heart of God. So the early Methodists started out with these habits that they would practice and doing good deeds. And do you know that the other seminary students, people that were supposed to be studying the Bible and becoming closer to God, actually made fun of these students and John Wesley because they were so methodical in how they followed the Bible. That's how we got the name Methodist. It was a name to make fun of John and Charles Wesley, but they embraced it. But those methods ended up forming people and they became part of how early Methodists lived. They read the Bible and then they lived the Bible. That became something that, again, led to them reacting to the love of God and how they treated other people. When you receive a great gift, one that you couldn't have earned, it can inspire you to then go and share that kind of gift with other people. When I started out as a full-time minister, I was an associate at First Methodist and Trustful, and we did not have the best system for allowing clergy to deal with needs. By that meaning, what I say is, is that there was no check and balance. In fact, when I was responsible for the pastor's discretionary fund checkbook, that meant that a checkbook was put on my hand on Fridays and there was no one to look beyond and see if I was writing good checks or not. I am so thankful that we're not in that case anymore, that there is a system that saves me and saves our church from you know, having all power in one place. But on Fridays at Trustful, I was responsible for it. We would get calls sometimes for people needing a place to stay. And it was my responsibility to make the decisions of what to do. And I remember one day someone came into the office on a Friday and they were desperate for their car to be fixed. They couldn't get to work and they were worried they were gonna lose their job. And so I, I told them, I cannot write a personal check to you, but I can talk to a local car repair shop and we can write a check to them for the amount. Usually when I write that check and I give it to the person or I give it to the, the company or the utility, I don't hear from people ever again. But do you know what happened two weeks after that day? The man came back and had to drag me outside to open up his hood and to show me how they had fixed that car and how thankful he was. He reacted to our, our church's goodness and service by coming back to say thank you. And that was amazing to me. It reminded me of how these acts, even when it's you know, sort of wrote, I'm going to write a check. I'm going to help somebody out. Hopefully it goes well. How much that matters to some people, how having a job and being able to keep it is so important to people who are living paycheck to paycheck. That reaction is something that I've seen happen to countless students, teenagers who pay money to go and sweat in Mississippi and Louisiana, rebuilding homes in the summer they paid us $400 to go on a mission trip to do work for other people. And I know that usually, usually the first mission trip a teenager goes on is usually because everybody else said it was fun and their friends are going and they're gonna not miss a week away from their parents to be with other friends, right? 
But something happens to a lot of these students when they're on this mission trip where they see that what they're doing, every nail that goes into a wall, every coat of paint that goes into a house makes a difference for someone and they see and meet the family and they know that they have touched someone's life with the love of God and a little bit of blood, sweat, and tears. It changes them. And they start coming back, not just because their friends are there and they're away from their parents for a week, but because they know they will make a difference. That goes from a responsibility or a task to a reaction. We're thankful for what God has done for us, or we're thankful that we were able to help somebody in the past and we want to do it again. And that is us moving in the right direction. By practicing service, we start to develop a hunger, a thirst for doing the right thing, doing the things that help other people. All because we practice the habit long enough to change our heart. But over time, it can become even more impactful. It can become something that we embody. We talk about embodying the way of Jesus here at Asbury. And what we mean is that it becomes who we are, that we are, in a sense, rewired by the Holy Spirit to be who Jesus calls us to be. And I've used this story before, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but it's, first of all, it's a story that puts my wife in a good light. And secondly, uh, it also is a reminder that sometimes when we're running on autopilot, we miss the opportunities that God puts in our lives. Years ago, when I was working at that same church, uh, First Methodist and Trustful, uh, on, on Highway 11, there was a target out there. And one night, my wife and I were going to Target. We were grocery shopping, and I happened to see a package of four apples. They were called grapples on the, on the label, and they were apples that were supposed to taste like a grape. And to me, I don't have to try every new thing, but when something sounds so unbelievable as that, I have to try it. I can't remember how much it was, but it was like $7 for four apples. It was a terrible investment, and they weren't really that good. But... I can tell you that once we got those home and I ate it, it tasted exactly like an apple that had been injected with grape Kool-Aid. When we were checking out, I was so excited. I was a little giddy. Uh, and the cashier at Target looked at those grapples and said, I've seen these and I've wanted to try them. I said, I know, I can't wait to get it home. I missed it. She rung it up and slid it down and my wife was there about to bag the groceries and she tore open the package. She took out one of the grapples and gave it to the cashier. We don't need four, why don't you have one? She didn't have time to think about that. That was not something she was planning on doing. In fact, I was not embodying the way of Jesus in that moment, I was thinking more about myself and how much I didn't know at the time a letdown I would experience in about 30 minutes. But my wife reflexively acted the way that Jesus wants us to. I think what happens is, friends, that we practice the habit, it becomes part of who we are, and it becomes a reflex, the more that becomes a reaction to God's grace, but also the ways in which we see the world. When we see the world and other people as those who God loves, and we see other people as people that might need a smile, a hand, even an act of kindness or service. We have the opportunity to impact people and to help them know 
that God is real and God loves them. You may know that there, there, there are historical records of people, missionaries going overseas, going into places where they did not know about Jesus, they did not even have a Bible, and turning them into Christians and then leaving, and the people there were not transformed by faith, and they slowly but surely lost faith and ended up going back to their old habits. It was the missionaries who came, who took care of people, who treated them fairly, who gave them not only the daily bread of scripture, but also actual bread and cared for their needs that actually saw the gospel land in those communities with kindness instead of force. And so what we learn from this is that Jesus was right from the very beginning. Unless we can kneel and serve, we won't be able to be as effective of a Christian or a church, unless we can bow down before God and humble ourselves before others and show the love that Christ has shown us, we may not be anything other than an organization that does a little bit of good. But if we do those things in the very same way that Jesus washed his disciples' feet with humility and kindness, we might just see people's lives changed because we didn't do it for any response for ourselves. We did it because Jesus has changed us from the inside out. We did it because it's who we are. Habits can change our desires. Instead of being a person who just desires to do a good thing, we can desire to be the people that God has created who do the right thing in his name. Habits of service are important. They're not optional, but they can change our hearts. Amen.